Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. I'm your host, Travis Tippins. This week's interview is with Chris Magilton, writer, director, and sound designer of Among the Stars and Bones, an audio fiction story following a team of xenoarchaeologists investigating the ruins of an alien civilization. He's also done voice acting work for the urban fantasy audio drama Kalila Stormfire's Economical Magic Services and the sci-fi audio drama Copperheart. Chris and I talk about the difference between audiobooks and audio dramas, the role of artificial intelligence in real and imagined societies, and the challenges that come with producing a complex work of audio fiction. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, Chris. It's great to have you here today. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, so my first question is, how did you first fall in love with genre fiction, and what led you to create your own stories? Um, I think for me, probably one of the most defining uh, sort of moments was I was about four years old, and a friend, one of our neighbors, took myself and her son to see Star Wars. It was. It must have been being revived at the local cinema for some reason. Um, it had been out for, uh, I guess, probably six or so years at that point. But you know, as a four-year-old, I didn't know anything about it. Um, the the friend had all of the action figures and so forth, and we used to play with those. But I think it's one of those ones. You know, you're four years old. You don't really understand what's happening, but it just it's pretty indelible the kind of impression that something as amazing as Star Wars on the big screen, the you know, being your first cinematic experience that I could remember, I think kind of sets you up uh, to kind of follow that through and and really fall in love with both uh, science fiction and, I mean, you know, Star Wars being as much fantasy as it is science fiction, fantasy as well. Um, in terms of what led me to create my own stories, I always enjoyed telling stories, performing stories, you know, both acting and writing were a big part of, of my growing up and uh, my schooling and all that sort of stuff. And so I've kind of always written to some degree, even during times when I've been too busy too, there's always been some sort of story kicking around in my head. Uh, I can't really imagine ever not doing it on some level. I did entertain the notion of trying to do it professionally uh, at one point early on in life, but I found in the end, uh, you know, one also has to eat and survive. And so sometimes some of that goes by the wayside, but you never really let it go. Right. Yeah, I can imagine. And your day job somewhat involves stories as well. Am I right? Is English and drama? Yeah, that's right. So I'm an English and, and drama teacher. So I mean, pretty much everything that I do either revolves around creating stories, deconstructing stories, writing essays about stories. You know, it, that's that's the, the whole bit, whether it's teaching kids about how to write their own uh, work, whether it's uh, teaching them how to perform it. I've directed a number of, you know, school productions and things over the years as well. So yeah, that 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 storytelling aspect is pretty core to the to the job that I do. Yeah. Right. So you're somewhat unique for our interviewees so far in that uh, your storytelling form, at least that I'm aware of, takes the form of audio dramas. Uh, so I guess a couple questions for you on that. Uh, first, a lot of our listeners are probably mostly familiar with books and then an audio form, audio books. Uh, so I guess first part, in your opinion, what separates an audio drama from an audiobook? And second part, I know there's some different terms out there. So do you prefer audio drama or audio fiction or fiction podcast? 
Yeah, look, um, the second question obviously is one that is very loaded for some people, but I'll, I'll deal with the first one first. So I guess the, the main distinction for me is intent. I know there are quite a number of audiobooks out there that often involve full cast and all that sort of gear and even will have a certain level of production music and sound design and so forth as, as part of them. So they do become this more immersive experience than just having, you know, uh, an actor narrate uh, a book towards you and, um, and, uh, and, you know, enact voices for characters or even, you know, not. Um, and indeed, there are some audio dramas uh, and audio fiction podcasts and what have you that do pretty much do that. There's a number that are essentially just a single narrator doing almost the same read as you would get out of an audiobook. But I think one of the main differences there is that an audiobook is was always intended to be consumed first via reading because most of them were, you know, written books that are available through bookshops or as ebooks or what have you. And so the audiobook is just taking is taking that story to another medium. The vast majority of audio dramas the presentation through the use of voice, the presentation through the use of sound or, or sound effects and music was always a big part of the intent. And that philosophically, I think, is an important distinction. But also in the world of audio drama, there is a lot more shows that do intend to be like, you know, a film for the ears, theatre of the mind, whatever you want to call it, where you are actually located in a space with a character going through you know, whatever particular problems and obstacles and battles that they have in the same way that you are immersed in a world through uh, or a similar way anyway, it, it, to in film and television um, and even in a book. But again, with that very specific focus on on the audio component and what you can hear being as important as what is being said. To the uh, to the second question. So, yeah, there's there's been uh, a lot of, I guess, movement in terms of the, the the terms. I certainly started with audio drama being the, the word that I sort of most got a hold of. Some people see that as being a very specific type of work uh, that perhaps, um, which is one of the reasons why some people have moved towards using things like audio fiction as a more inclusive term or, or fiction podcast, because then you're covering both what it is doing, telling a, a fictional story, and the medium, which is, you know, podcast form, which is, you know, more specific, I guess, than things like radio play. I think audio drama kind of feels like it's it's kind of a little bit of a borrowing from the idea of a radio drama, you know, the 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 old tradition of of telling stories and serialized stories over the over the radio that of course is still uh, around. But I think I think ultimately for me, I kind of have started leaning more into the idea of audio fiction, just as that idea of I don't want to feel, I don't want anyone else to feel excluded by it. And I feel like it is the more inclusive term. I'm sure other people are listening to this might disagree, but I think it's also been good because it's welcomed in a number of other kinds of shows that do have a fictional format, but are not necessarily uh, what some people would term an audio drama. Uh, an example being uh, actual plays where people play various kinds of role-playing games and essentially tell an improvised story through the various rule sets and mediums and, and dice rolls and things that make up your various role-playing games. But ultimately, they're trying to tell a story in the same way. And so I think audio fiction is a term that, that kind of allows everyone to kind of hang out in the same space a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And just from looking around online a little bit, that was kind of the impression I was getting. I know 
for me, I tend to latch on to the first term I hear, which was also audio drama. So I have trouble thinking about it in other ways, but definitely, I guess, maybe audio fiction is the way to go. We've covered uh, the medium of audio fiction a little bit. So Mm -hmm. can you give us a brief pitch for your audio fiction, Among the Stars and Bones? Uh, Yeah, so Among the Stars and Bones, I usually refer to it as a science fiction, xenoarchaeological, well, audio fiction, audio drama, whatever you want to put on the end there. Essentially, it is the story of a team of uh, xenoarchaeologists and other experts being sent off to explore various alien ruins belonging to this one particular race that doesn't seem to be around anymore that have been referred to as the Proximans. You hear from five different members of the of the team at various points. Each one is there for different reasons. Each one has a different agenda. And the story evolves through the reports that these five people are giving back to their supervisor being beamed back to Earth every couple of days. And over that time, we learn a little bit about why they're there, what's going on in this place, and things tend to go pretty badly once they start really digging into the the site. And each season, we go to a new place, we meet a new problem, we have a new adventure. Okay. I guess for people who might not be aware, uh, what exactly is xenoarchaeology? Well, I mean, it's, I guess, one of those terms that uh, is somewhat made up, somewhat, somewhat exists. It's the idea of archaeology that is focused on aliens and alien races, you know, the xeno, xeno uh, prefix usually referring to others, aliens, people other than ourselves. And so my question, I guess, is out of all science fiction, genre fiction, any story in the world that you could have told, why this particular story? There was a, there was a few reasons. I think when I started to first get into audio drama, there was a little bit of focus on, you know, a lot of audio dramas in that are more, I guess, modern, especially ones coming out of America, often have some sort of framing device, uh, a reason why this audio is being recorded, why there is no video involved, whereas others, of course, take more of an, uh, a radio drama slash television sort of view where they're just like scenes being acted out uh, as you would in most stories. And so I think I was a bit focused on that idea. And there were just a couple of things that kind of uh, struck me about the thing. One is I, I have a, a real love of the uh, the Borderlands series of video games. And very early on, you actually, as part of the, the world building, you can do a number of missions where you pick up a number of recordings from a, a Xeno archaeologist uh, who is investigating alien ruins on this particular planet. And, you know, over the course of several different recordings that you pick up, you kind of have this story that is evolving where you have both the personal story of Patricia Tannis, who is the the archaeologist, and the story of what she finds and discovers. And in some ways, I guess it was kind of wanting to really take a a simple idea like that and and see what I could sort of do with it. I also have a really strong love of uh, Babylon 5. And that show also, especially in its very brief uh, spin-off series, did also start to push off into this space of... Uh, alien archaeology and uh, attempting to discover and exploit the the leavings of various alien species that had uh, that had disappeared from uh, from the cosmos at some point, and so I think that was a that was a kind of where a lot of the the concept and the idea sort of came from. And once I started sort of playing around with it and thinking about the characters and so forth, it just sort of took hold and and wouldn't let go. And I think also it was because it was a newer story, whereas. You know, I have other things that I've worked on at various points, other stories, fragments of novels, various web series ideas, screenplays and things like that that I've just toyed around with over the years. And 
I think I like the idea of taking of starting with something new rather than taking something and adapting it first time out because that sort of felt like it might not be doing that story justice or or um, necessarily doing the best with it because there have been a, a number of um, audio dramas that that have kind of been come out of those and and, and some of them are excellent but others maybe haven't taken advantage of the the medium and what it can do that you can't necessarily do in other forms of storytelling. And it felt better if I was going to learn how to do this as I was going to start with a fresh story. And I know especially uh, most creative types seem to have more stories in their heads than they can ever have time to possibly tell. Uh, So sometimes just starting fresh and building something from the ground up is always good. Yeah, I think so. You know, and there there are some stories I think that that's true too, I'm sure. You know, like you say, there's more stories they can ever tell. I think sometimes there are stories that, you know, that you stop working on and sometimes there's actually a really good reason for it. And that's not to say they can't come back in another form or in another way, but sometimes it is important to leave that story back where it was because you left it behind because it was problematic or you couldn't work out how to actually make this character happen or you realize now that it was falling into certain bad tropes that perhaps didn't do justice to marginalized people. You know, there's, there's lots of different things that as you, as you kind of grow and evolve as a human, let alone as a storyteller, you sort of realize you know, those, those stories, they, they don't have quite as much, I guess, in them as much merit or whatever you want to call it as you thought they did when you were 10 years younger or five years younger and, uh, and, and thought differently about the world. Right. Yeah. I guess examining the impact that our stories can have on the people around us is something that at least I never really thought about when I first started uh, getting into reading and consuming stories at a young age. Uh, but now it's definitely something that I'm always thinking about. Yeah. And it's something I think I'm far more aware of having moved into the the audio fiction space because there are a lot of stories being told in this space by people of marginalized identities because they don't have to go through, you know, this is this tends to be independent media and they don't have to go through the various, you know, studio systems and so forth that where executives who are only looking at the bottom line, you know, put the kibosh on stories that don't focus on, you know, white, cis, hetero kind of uh, characters and relationships and those sorts of things because they're concerned that that may not draw the, the biggest possible audience and therefore they worry about the bottom line and all that sort of thing. And so you have, I think, a lot more conversations in this space about that, that kind, those kind of considerations, um, you know, own voices, stories, uh, and, and those kinds of things. And I, I think it's interesting that you said comparing to like not having to deal with a studio. Do you think that audio fiction in general is more similar to say television and movies, or do you think it's more similar to just like a written novel? Look, I think it can really depend. The fact, obviously, that it's often serialized does push you a little bit more towards, I guess, a television as a model uh, that tends to be more of a seasons approach. But then there are also plenty of people who do approach uh, as much like chapters in a story. And as I said before, I could I could name uh, probably uh, half a dozen shows off the top of my head, two that come to mind, uh, uh, Moya and um, Indian Noir, which are essentially... Like I say, they they present almost exactly like a novel does, like an audio book would, where, you know, so as a result, you, you, they're, they're as much book as they are TV in, the, in that sort of regard as well. I think 
it's like everything else. Um, I mean, they're ultimately also just their own thing. We tell stories about the same kinds of things, but the format often does shape a lot of that story in its own right. And I kind of hope ultimately that we'll start to see them as their own thing that borrows from all the ways we tell stories, including, you know, going back to ideas like classic uh, radio drama and, and things like that. Getting back more towards uh, your story of Among the Stars and Bones, with creating the Proximans as this alien race, how did you go about making them feel you know, genuinely alien and not just humans on a different planet? I feel like sometimes that's what aliens are kind of portrayed as in movies. Yeah, look, um, there are a couple of different factors that I think came into play. I think a really important part of it was to look at it as the audience and myself and the characters kind of all on this process of discovery. Archaeology looks at, you know, the available evidence to kind of draw various kinds of conclusions and speculate on what the significance of various things can be. And there's always a tendency, obviously, to see some of those things through the lens of your own experience and your own culture and so forth anyway. So I think that idea that that they're only ever able to speculate that there's only so much that's known about them to begin with helps to kind of keep them uh, a little bit more alien. So that was one part of it. You know, there are, there are aspects, I have, you know, quite a number of ideas about what they look like and who they are and some aspects of, of culture and what have you that haven't been revealed yet. But I haven't tried to define them down to the nth degree because I want to leave myself that room for that process of discovery uh, along with the writing process and therefore the characters and, and later the audience kind of meeting them a little bit at a time because you're never necessarily going to get a complete picture. And there are times, you know, I, I remember someone who I, I knew who had some archaeology background from their, from their academic thing was talking about, you know, that one of their favorite games in archaeology was what they called shelf or altar. And it's that idea of when you find something in a site, trying to work out its significance, that idea of it could be an important ritual tool of the culture and really important part of their their day-to-day lives or a focal point of the way they felt about the world, or it could just be a really handy place to, you know, stick a couple of things out of the way, which I guess is, you know, and, and that's and that's that's a big part of it. You know, th- th- there's going to be some guesswork involved, I think helps keep them more alien. Um, on other levels, uh, there were some things that came up uh, just through the development process kind of accidentally on purpose. One thing that happened during the process of designing the uh, the cover art for the podcast was one of the early early designs that Dave Shembury, who did the art, uh, came up with. Involved it was you know we went with this idea of an alien skull, and one of the early ones involved the idea of them having uh, more than two nostrils. And it was something I don't think I'd prompted him him on, but it was one of the things I picked up and said, yeah, you know what, go with that because I'd had this half an idea in the back of my mind about how you know, one of the the key ways to make the alien in something like audio fiction is to think about how they would sound. And so I had this idea in the back of my head that, hey, why don't we move away from the idea that we're more commonly comfortable with from most or many forms of life on this planet, including our own, is that idea of, you know, vocalizations occurring through the, the mouth and through the throat and the way we, you know, form uh, sounds with vocal cords and what have you. And why don't we move into something else like the idea of them actually articulating through multiple nostrils, allowing them to kind of 
put out, as, like I, I kind of was thinking somewhat musically originally, that they would essentially put out different combinations of notes, even potentially creating more than one sound at the same time. And so that was that was a big part of it, which I then took that idea and kind of went into the idea of developing the language. The speech of the Proxmans, essentially every syllable, letter, that you, whatever you want to call it, is three sounds at once. There's kind of a, a, a top note, which is sort of a high frequency thing. There's more of a, um, a, a mid-range one. And there's also a click clicking kind of thing that goes underneath. So with that idea that they are simultaneously articulating multiple sounds at once, you know, and you need to, it's, it's like a chord in music. All of them are significant because a different combination change one of the three things and you might, you will have a different word or a different sound being, being articulated. So that was, that was one part of it was, you know, focusing on if, if they're going to be aliens in a podcast, the important thing is they sound different because that's what the audience has to identify them by. So that was uh, another consideration was, was that aspect. Uh, and I think the third was there are certain soundscapes that occur in the podcast that are within alien settings in which there are, you know, there is perhaps some residual power or something is still alive and going uh, because the, the site in the first season that they find is not entirely, although it's been abandoned for a long time, it's not entirely without, uh, you know, power or anything like that. Uh, one of the things that I tried to do to make it distinct from the various sounds that human equipment and human soundscapes had was I did more to try and make it sound a little bit more layered and a little bit more dynamic. There's a tendency for the sound to move just a little bit very subtly with a bit of panning backwards and forwards, trying to create that that sense of it being a little bit more layered and complex than the ambient hum of a human space of similar equipment that uh, the people use. So again, just that slight sound distinction. We are clearly in an alien space versus we are clearly in a human space. I think it's fascinating too, because that's the kind of thing where I think maybe subconsciously I was picking up on a little bit when I was listening to the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, but I couldn't have sat down and told you, okay, I'm noticing this light panning in the background hum and I'm noticing all of these different things. So I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, and that's uh, somewhat deliberate. I mean, ultimately, this is still a story told primarily through characters speaking, and you don't want to have the the background noise really stomp, stomp all over that. So it's often a slight tendency for for the um, for some of that stuff to be just pushed down a little bit into the background, so it doesn't take away from people listening to and and hearing the the words of the story which is also a little bit of a consideration towards people who may have some uh, audio processing issues and, and, and things like that where they have difficulty pulling apart all the sounds. I, I always try to kind of keep the background in the background until, you know, if there's something that's actually going on in the environment that is relevant to the conversation or relevant to the to the scene or an immediate danger, then you know, I'll, I'll make that more present. But, yeah, it's, a, it's an important thing, I think, to not over, you know, overwhelm your, your audience sometimes, you know, some people who, who want to dig in, who want to listen with headphones and for, so forth will, will probably pick up on a lot more of those sorts of things. Other people who are listening in a car might miss out on some of that, but they'll still get the story. And so, you know, you've got to kind of, I think, sometimes play for both levels and try and you can't rely 100% on one or the other. Especially as uh, one of those people who are often listening in the car, uh, I do appreciate that it can be experienced either way. Yeah, I think, um, and that's the one thing you absolutely can't control. You can't insist that someone, you know, you can't, you can't insist someone is going to sit there and, and pull out the headphones and, you know, sit in a quiet room um, because people consume 
podcasts and audio fiction as part of their, you know, day-to-day lives while they're doing other stuff. It's one of the things that is is the most attractive, I think, for a lot of people that are into it, is that it is one of the things you can you can do while you're, you know, doing the dishes or driving to work or, or what have you, just like a lot of people enjoy audiobooks in the same way. Whereas, you know, it's, it's not the same as, as sitting in that darkened theatre with a screen the size of your house in front of you, you know, and, and surround sound and all that sort of stuff where it's that perfect environment for for consuming you know like we do with cinema i guess since we're talking about the sound design aspect i heard an audio craft panel that you were on back in 2019 uh, where you were talking about these subtle sound design choices how they can relate to character so in addition to just the immersive nature of the sounds i thought it was interesting how you mentioned there would be an analog clock or a wooden desk to show that a character doesn't necessarily want to be there on this alien planet and would rather be in a more familiar environment back home on Earth. Yeah, I think it's um, it's important because I do have these five characters that are the focus of this first season and those five characters each have a particular attitude, uh, a particular goal that they, they want to achieve and uh, a particular way of looking at what's what's around them. And I think it was important to try and sort of define them on some level by the sounds that are around them. And yeah, I, I, the, one of the big parts was we have Adrian Barnes, uh, who is the comptroller, uh, which I've kind of repurposed that term slightly to mean essentially the, the mission logistics manager and overseer. She's not the boss, but she's kind of has certain, I guess, executive function that she can kind of pull on from time to time, um, in, in various ways. She's there to make sure that the, the goals are met and everyone's safe. She's primarily there to make sure everyone gets home alive. But yeah, she's not necessarily as into the discovery aspect or the desire to to find ways to use this alien technology to drive humanity forward, uh, to speed up, you know, light travel, faster than light travel or, or whatever it is that, um, that all the others hope to get out of it. And it was really about trying to kind of make that clear on a level through that you know, some of that sound design. So yes, she's she's got her little office. That's where she chooses to do her reports because she doesn't really want to deal with the actual reality of the site quite so much. And so she kind of avoids it as much as possible. And yeah, she's got this office. So she has deliberately attempted to decorate it in ways that are more grounded in, in reality, more grounded in the kind of world. You know, you think of science fiction, a lot of the time you think of fancy uh, electronic effects, uh, fancy computer chimes and all that sort of stuff, uh, the kind of stuff you would see on like a Star Trek and so forth. But reality, I think in the future is still going to have, you know, wood and clockwork in some places as much as it has plastic and metal and electronics um, in most people's visions of sci-fi. So it was kind of just, one, it was part of the way of identifying where this character you know, th- this character it has a distinct environment. We are with this person. This is the journey we're going on. We're in a slower pace with this person. We're a bit faster over here because, again, where people are. And that was a big part of the part of the choice to try and define her by what she chooses to place in the environment around her and a desire for a more analog kind of world. One of the things that hasn't necessarily emerged, but ultimately Adrian's desire was not to be a xenoarchaeologist. It was to be an archaeologist. She was getting into the field just as the Proximans were being discovered and the the idea was at that time 
there was no interest in funding further exploration of our own past here on Earth. The real pressure was on people in the field to find ways to you know, change their major or convert over into this world. And that's where, unfortunately, the money and the security was at the time because there were people willing to invest in the possibility that they might make a fortune of discovering something that could be adapted for human use. And so that's, you know, like there's there's quite a lot contained in that, but I do like to try and make these choices in, in, in a way where it's like every choice has some sort of a reason behind it. And I, I think that makes sense. Like you're saying, uh, in a futuristic world, we're definitely still probably going to have wood at least. And I think this takes place in the 23rd century, 22 something. Yeah, early, early 23rd century. So roughly 200 years from now. Okay. Yeah. Also, like you were saying, with uh, the intent to make a profit, I mean, unfortunately, in capitalism, that kind of drives a lot of society. So I think that would absolutely be how something like that would play out, Um, especially some of your characters discover on this alien planet that the Proximans had an artificial intelligence that they integrated into their environment. And something like that would obviously be a goal to advance our understanding of artificial intelligence and how we could adapt that for military, commercial, whatever use. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess actually speaking about artificial intelligence, since that plays a role in the story, what are your thoughts on artificial intelligence in general, either in the real world or more broadly applied to science fiction? I think in science fiction, I I think AI characters, uh, cyborg characters, uh, robotic uh, robotic characters and so forth, they're they're some of my favorites. Um, I'm especially fond, I think, of the, I guess what you'd call the um, either the snarky or dry butler type AI, the ones that, you know, are often written and performed as though they're a little bit uh, sort of sort of flatter, but they're quite clearly capable of sarcasm, of underhanded little comments that uh, that uh, I guess keep them sane in 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 light of the the incompetence perhaps of the people around them and so forth. You know, um, the, the the Marvin in um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide being you know one example. And then, you know, you get some, I mean, one of the things that is great about science fiction audio drama, I think, is there are some fantastic AI characters out there. Uh, Hera in, in Wolf 359 is one classic example yes. of a character that not only, I think, you you know, is such a fun part of the day-to-day operations for everyone else, but it also was defined as such a character in her own right with her own set of things that she had to work through. You know, everyone on the Hephaestus station kind of all had their um, particular screw-ups and foibles and things that kind of led to them being in this place and in this time. And and, and Hera, it, it turned out, you know, was kind of in that same boat and it was, uh, it was just amazing to hear her story as it was to um, hear the stories of all the other characters. And there are there are many uh, other examples that, that you encounter. I think, you know, they are some of the most fun uh, characters to work with. There's always so much room to for for comic relief, um, as well as for deep explorations of, of things like you know what does it mean to be human or alive or sentient and all that sort of stuff that you know has been um, explored on on a number of levels from you know the things like Star Trek Next Gen and, and all that sort of stuff. It is interesting, I think, when you take all of those ideas that we kind of place on AI in our fiction. And then apply it back to the real world where in the real world, our forays into artificial intelligence seem to be far more algorithmically 
driven rather than driven by any idea of what actual sentience or humanity or anything like that is. And you sometimes look at that and you wonder where that's going to lead us to if we're going to have essentially artificial intelligences driven by pure mathematics that are responsible for so many things that that we do in life and so many parts of how the way the world works uh, and where that might ultimately lead us. I wouldn't say that I'm scared of it, but it's like one of those ones of like, I, I'm still a bit cautious of, 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 of that idea, I guess, that, you know, I, I, I understand from, from what I've heard is, you know, when they look at some of the, um, the decisions that are made by various AIs that are, that are currently in existence, they sometimes don't actually even have a clear understanding of what it is the AI has picked up on uh, and used as its criteria to, to evaluate and make this particular decision. And that's, that's a little bit worrisome when, you know, when we don't know exactly what is driving the bus on, on these very complex um, systems that we, uh, we entrust to algorithms and uh, AI. Especially uh, when AIs could potentially be literally driving a bus or uh, well, absolutely. <laughs> taking us around these high-speed freeways and mechanical death traps, potentially. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why we're all still a little bit resistant. And we're already, I think I think it's also the, the way we're sort of seeing it already affect things like social media, uh, YouTube, uh, and things like that, which has really had an impact on, you know, politics uh, and, and a lot of aspects of the way the world's going. I mean, I don't want to get into anything that heavy in the discussion, but, you know... It's 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 that old it's the old um, Dr. Malcolm you know thing you know we, we spend so many times so much time thinking about you know whether we could sometimes we we maybe don't think enough about whether or not we should and I think that might apply as much to AI as it does to you know resurrecting dinosaurs. Um, I guess moving a little bit away from digging into the meat of the story itself, mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious because I imagine you wear several hats in the production of Among the Stars and Bones. So what does that production cycle look like for you? Um, well, uh, you know, uh, obviously I'm involved at pretty much every stage because I'm the front and the back end and the middle of, uh, of the whole process. So I was working on the script through the second half of 2018 uh, and started the casting process towards the end of that year. There was still a lot of editing and so forth. Uh, Devin Madsen, my partner, uh, you of course uh, have interviewed her on this podcast as well, uh, because she's uh, she's a fantasy author with uh, books coming out from Orbit in the not too distant future. She uh, did the editing process and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the casting happened. That took a, a few months to sort of nail down, and then once I had everyone locked in place, I started, I guess, gathering everyone together using uh, Discord. We then uh, started working on the scripts in chunks. I sort of had the first, I think, three, maybe four, ready to go early on. And we started a process. So working with the actors, uh, there's a few different ways I work. My cast is all over the world. I'm here in Australia. Uh, About half of them are in America. A few are in England. And we're sort of split across all the available time zones in in the US as well, making things a little bit more uh, complicated. So the way I work with the actors sort of depended on the situation. Some actors were happy to just kind of jump on a one-on-one, um, you know, Discord, Skype call, something like that, and have a chat, just work our way through the the scene and so forth. And then I would leave them to um, go off and do their thing and send me through takes as they, as they got to them. Where there was conversations, as much as possible, I tried to get everyone in at the same time. 
uh, that could prove to be problematic because uh, sometimes, especially when we shifted from, you know, who had daylight savings and so forth, sometimes the aligning of people in England with people in America and then myself in Australia just couldn't really work where there was one sort of time that was more or less, you know, in the course of the same day for all three continents at once. So there were times when I was getting up at uh, three or four in the morning to do these, uh, these rehearsals. I then leave the actors to do their thing, send them in. After that, it's cleaning up the takes, starting to place them. Then you're looking at sound design and then you're looking at various other, you know, mastering and things to finish them all off. Uh, and then that one's done and you're sort of on to the next. So I kind of did it in a few blocks, roughly, I think one to four. First up, five and six was another block. Of course, went on hiatus at that point where we stopped releasing after we released those first six. I was a bit behind at that stage. I think seven and eight scripts were out. We might have rehearsed them, but I don't think I'd gotten to the point where I had all the takes in at that stage. And then I still had to finalize nine and 10 and get them out. So we kind of did them in sort of roughly in twos. I think in the future, I'd, I'd like to sort of go for large chunks and have more stuff already in the bank before uh, before we start releasing uh, any future seasons. But it's, it's kind of chaotic. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are days when I don't really know what I'm doing and you're sort of waiting on one thing to fall into place so you can do the other thing and then the other thing gets sorted out. So yeah, I, I, look, it's it's kind of chaotic. I, I do want to work on finding a way to uh, smooth it out and make it a little bit less, uh, you know, moving parts and so forth. I would love at some point, um, though I would have to find some money for them, uh, to have somebody else involved in the editing and sound design side of things just because that is by far the largest part of the job. And the one that sort of, you know, because not because it's necessarily the most difficult, but because it's the most finicky, you know, there's the most amount of fiddling and finding exactly the right thing you want and then working on the various settings and then looking at how that sound effect is playing against the other sound effect and whether or not we need to tweak it here or over there and, and what's the right kind of feel for it. It can genuinely take sometimes I think probably a hundred hours could just be devoted to, to the sound design of one episode. Episode eight particularly was, um, was a, a huge bugbear, which of course, um, is coming out in uh, about a month now. Episode six, which has a lot of big, heavy sound design towards the end was also quite, quite a, a thing. The amount of work I did to get the alien speech sorted was on its own, almost like doing a whole extra episode. Yeah. I know when you were saying, uh, they have three different tones at once. <laughs> I can only imagine the challenges that you faced with uh, getting that. Yeah, and and ultimately uh, it led to me developing. I think it's there's a hundred distinct sounds or, or give or take uh, in in the language, um, which is probably more than I needed, especially since you know you can't really sit there and translate it um, <laughs> to work out what I'm really saying or anything like that. But it I don't know. It it felt like I was trying to give this the sense and the feel that it was real language that you could tell that I wasn't just repeating the same um, bunch of sounds over and over again um, and that there was actually a difference between, you know, uh, one word and one sentence and, and another and so forth. Mostly my experience has been with fantasy novels where you can tell sometimes when an author has uh, just come up with maybe 10 or 12 words and kind of expected you to think that there's a full language around that and then other times you can tell someone has like legitimately created a language from the ground up. Yeah. Um, I imagine that's only compounded in difficulty in an audio medium. Yeah, it definitely it definitely is. I didn't go so far as inventing uh, a whole language, but there there was definitely an attempt to think about how 
things might be different from a sort of a linguistic perspective. Um, there are a number of things that come up about certain things that they do in their language, certain ways of speaking um, and referring to things that we don't. And I do want to play with that a little bit more uh, as we go through. Um, it's, it's sort of funny, like I have no real uh, background in, in archaeology. I have no real background in uh, chemistry. I have no real background in physics uh, or pretty much any discipline that is involved. I have a very, very, very small uh, amount of university uh, learning in linguistics. And obviously my background as an English teacher helps a little bit. But um, uh, even then, I've, I've relied a lot on, on other people to come in and, and help me out. Uh, and look, that's one of the fantastic things about the the audio fiction community is that most of them were people that work on other podcasts that happen to have those kinds of expertises. Uh, and their help has been invaluable in in just trying to get that little bit of authenticity into the science and uh, humanity type stuff that's the that, that's involved there. And now I know uh, you've been uh, involved in several other podcasts in a voice mm -hmm. acting role at least, and then also as well one of the five or so main viewpoint characters in Among the Stars and Bones. Yep. So do you think that this voice acting has informed your directorial style for Among the Stars and Bones at all? Look, I think so. Um, it is interesting because, uh, you know, having now done, um, I guess, uh, four, I think, other shows than my own uh, to greater and lesser degrees, that was the reason for putting myself out there and auditioning in the first place for a few for a few shows was because I did want to look at, you know, how other people went about this process, you know, how they went about this idea of remote recording, what to them was their idea of how they were going to um, approach you know, getting all these people into some sort of sync uh, to make, you know, this one story together in a way that, that would still feel cohesive to the audience, despite the fact that people are scattered by geography and um, distance and, and, and also, I guess, um, different perhaps perspectives that come from being from different parts of the world. And there's been a number of, of different things I've encountered. Some people like to really sit down and have that conversation the same way that uh, any director would in any kind of performance medium where they really talk about, you know, where your character's at, you know, provide extra context for the scene, uh, let you know what it is your character is thinking while they're, you know, saying some of these things, what the, what the thought behind the words is. Other people rely on their script to kind of tell the story and, you know, they just sort of say, have at it. Um, you know, I, I, they put trust in their actors to um, to really kind of come up with and, and interpret that script in a way that is that is going to be, uh, if not exactly what the director was was thinking of, something that that surprises them and takes the 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 performance in a new direction and makes them perhaps reevaluate the character, because I mean that is what ultimately the process of you know directing and. Uh, writing and acting should be. It should be somewhat collaborative. You know, there's got to be some give and take. You've got to, you, you've given an artist an opportunity to embody a character. You've got to leave room for what they bring to the table. Otherwise, you know, what what is the purpose of, of, of bringing them at all? So you've got that. I've, I've had other people, you know, just literally send scripts and then just say, send me the recordings when you're done without any real conversation, clarification, um, or even interaction, you know, which is which is interesting, and and obviously um, I'm in one of those cases. Uh, I'm I'm yet to see the finished product, so um, I don't know yet how well all of us working that way has is going to come together. Um, you know, but it'll be interesting to see. 
And I think, yeah, look, it did, it did certainly give me something to work with. You know, I realized uh, early on that it was possible to work with some actors by just giving them broad notes and living them the space. Other scenes require exactly the same kind of thing that I would bring to the table if I was directing for, for live theater, uh, which, you know, with the, the drama teaching background, obviously I, I have done. It was really also just about finding a, an effective way to work, um, that it was possible to do things via the, uh, you know, via the, the Discord method, everyone in a group chat, um, Yes, it's not 100% dead on the money like you would if you're all sitting in the same room together because uh, you often have the delay and what have you, but it can still be quite effective and it still allows for that little bit of, you know, give and take of energy uh, and live reactions to stuff that sort of uh, helps keep the the illusion that we are all characters in the same space uh, having a conversation uh, at the same time. I was, I was going to mention too, some people also work. I, I haven't insisted on that because I know not everyone's set up for it technically, but I have been uh, in one show where the idea is that you record during that, that Zencaster or Skype or um, group chat conversation and everyone is, uh, is actually recording their lines as part of it and then you just put it all together in, in, in post. Everyone records locally as they're kind of in that conversation with each other. And that's a really good way to work too, but obviously it can be really hard to achieve technically, but it's probably, you know, the, the, the most energetic and alive way of doing this remote thing. It's just not something I felt I could really push for, but it's sort of good to have it as a tool in the box because there are these so many different approaches to the way you deal with this, um, this particular problem of trying to bring actors from around the world together. I can imagine. And there's so much that goes into that, that I just as a listener have never really thought about. Yeah. And, and I will admit, um, you know, I, yeah, I might've chosen differently if I'd realized how much there was going into it, uh, you know, that I hadn't thought about as well. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the project might've been slightly smaller in scope rather than having that full sort of cast of 12 with, you know, five main characters. Definitely has uh, come together into something very interesting, though. So I'm glad, as a selfish listener perspective, uh, <laughs> that you did go for that scope. Yeah, I can't imagine doing it any other way now. So outside of Among the Stars and Bones, are there any future projects on the horizon for you? Anything you've had kicking around in your head for a while or plan to work on next? Yes, I do have uh, other thoughts and ideas in, in the works. One is uh, one that you actually do have some uh, awareness of because, again, uh, you did interview Devon, uh, my partner, not so long ago. And that is uh, she is writing an audio drama that is attached to the world in which she tells her fantasy stories. Uh, one of the characters that does uh, get referenced in her novel that's uh, coming out soon uh, and who does come in and out of the, the novels that follow a little bit. It's called The, uh, the 59 Bodies of Saki Laroth. And it is the story of how an immortal being uh, named Torvash goes through the process of discovering how the magic system works on this particular, on this particular, in this particular world. Uh, and it's it's through his experiments involving uh, Saki Laroth, who um, is the child of a character from some of the uh, other works of um, of Devon, and her abilities help him to sort of unlock the secrets of of this the, the way that uh, special powers and things work in this world and so it's a slow evolving story that is also a very character story because it takes place over a long period of time as i said the characters are mortal so uh it will span some 
sometime. And it also, I guess, is really about the give and take uh, between the two of them because as someone who is immortal and somewhat cold and dispassionate because he does not look at human beings as being, you know, of his level, I suppose, he's not always 100% ethical in the way that he goes about things. So uh, it's the influence of Saki on him that kind of uh, changes uh, his perspective and in order to achieve his aims he's got to kind of work with her not not have her as just a tool kind of thing so this is something that Devin's written I am performing as Torvash and uh, Sam Nguyen who's who plays uh, Harry in Among the Stars and Bones will also appear as Kocho who is another character that is part of the uh, part of the story and uh, we're working on that one sort of now and we're hoping to think bring it out later this year uh, it'll be several seasons and so forth very short episodes very much focused on Torvash dictating experiment notes um, with various interruptions and, and and things like that to explain, you know, tell the story of of, of each experiment and how the, the ideas are developing and how things are changing because of the influence of, of Saki and so forth. I was just going to say I'm curious, uh, since I know this is in a fantasy world, is Torvash dictating into some sort of recorder? Uh, no, he is. He has uh, Kocho, uh, the, the other character that you hear from the most, is... Um, uh, a scribe. So essentially he's dictating to, to Kocho who is scribbling down. Uh, Kocho has a unique ability. He is um, able to read minds to some degree, which means that uh, he's very useful as a scribe because obviously he can be slightly ahead of the, the sentence and slightly ahead of the words, which means he's capable of kind of picking up simultaneously what is being said, but also as what is being thought. And that makes him very useful as a scribe. Uh, I should mention uh, the interesting thing about Saki is that she is incapable of speech. Um, it's, it's part of a thing that occurs early on in life uh, when the particular power she has becomes manifest. Most people that have this power go through a period where they are unable to speak. Most of them come out of it after a time. She, however, never did um, because she's a little bit unique uh, in a number of ways. And so that's going to be one of the interesting challenges of the project is creating this sense of a presence of a person that cannot use words, uh, which will be, I think, one of the it's one of the, the things from a from a design point of view and a production point of view. I'm looking forward to that that challenge of trying to really make you feel like Saki is pre- present and part of this uh, this world and this conversation. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, apart from that, I do have uh, a couple of other ideas that I've been um, playing around with uh, to varying degrees. Some of it is. Uh, taking other stories I've worked on uh, in other mediums and sort of looking at whether or not they they might work in this particular space. One is uh, a little bit of a fun. It was a it was a web series that I was going to play with at one point, um, which just became a little bit too difficult to manage to film while I have run, uh, young children uh, running around. Um, I have uh, a four year old son with with Devon. Um, we also had her daughters living with us uh, for quite a while. Up until recently, and so the general chaos and destruction that uh, small children bring to your world does make it harder to kind of organize <laughs> and shoot around that. Um, and I just found it to be a little bit too difficult, so I ended up shelving it. And not long after, it was when I started to really get into uh, audio drama and so forth, and that's when I moved into that space. But at the same time, um, it was a story of um, it was it was called Life with My Evil Twin. Uh, it was essentially the story of two twins, one of whom is basically, would basically be a supervillain if they could ever be bothered getting off the couch. 
So it was kind of that, you know, like a little bit of that kind of odd couple thing playing off the twin thing as well uh, and having some fun, good twin, evil twin. So there was a there was a few things I wanted to do with that one and I'd written quite a lot. It's a, it'd be a very short episode, fun little almost sketch kind of thing. Uh, so that's one I'm kind of uh, hoping to resurrect and get back into it at some point and look at how I can do that one justice in the uh, in the audio medium. Uh, and there's a, there's a few other things that I kind of have a little bit further back in my head but at the same time I do also want to tell more stories in the among the stars and bones space which means I do have to devote a lot of time to that because it's taken a couple of years just to get to this point um which means that you know if I have a number of seasons worth of material I want to kind of uh go through over the course of the next few years I'm I'm going to have to uh to put a lot of time and focus there as well just as a a fan are there any audio fiction stories you've been enjoying lately or just any great shows that you can recommend? Um, yeah, look, um, it's, it's, it's always interesting when you get put on the spot because like a lot of, uh, audio fiction fans, I probably have, (laughs) I have something like, uh, I think I've just, just about hit 200 subscriptions to this point of which I would say at least 75% of that would be, uh, audio fiction of one kind or another, but a few, uh, a few recent ones, one I want to mention because I, I just finished it, uh, I think earlier this week, uh, I've just gone through season two of Directive. Um, it's, uh, it begins as a story of a lone person working on a colony ship, uh, maintaining stasis pods. And we kind of, you know, get the, the story of how they ended up in this situation and so forth. And it's really just a very well done sort of low key story. It does, twist itself in some interesting directions and certainly uh, manages to go for the uh, go for the jugular emotionally uh, at various points. So there's there's two seasons of that one out. Um, it's about 12 episodes. I've uh, really enjoyed that one. I just finished uh, the first season of Moonbase uh, Theta Out, which is another great one that focuses on uh, the reports of um, one of the members of a team of people shutting down a Moonbase and waiting for, for pickup. And there's clearly a lot going on in the world outside. And it's just one of those stories that's just really, really well told. And the uh, the voice acting uh, is incredibly grounding. There's another season of that one too that I haven't quite gotten to, but I really, really do would would recommend that one. Another recent one um, that I, I've only, it's only got a, a couple episodes out and some background material is uh, This Planet Needs a Name. It's, an, it's one that uh, focuses on uh, colonizing and terraforming a, a planet but one of the things I, I like about it is it's shaping up already to really, I guess, deal with a lot more of the ethical questions because they do discover that this planet does have its own forms of life. And I feel like, again, that's one of those things as we as we continue to in, in interrogate colonial, uh, colonialism and, and, and those sorts of things and, and the state of the world we live in that I think is an important thing to think about as we potentially do get closer and closer to the time we might move out into the, uh, into the stars and seek to make uh, new homes elsewhere. And uh, but at the same time, it feels like it's got uh, a number of fun mysteries and things that are being set up as well. So I just I feel like that one's really got a lot of potential, and I'm really hopeful. It sounds pretty good too. Um, so I'm really hopeful for that one. Um, uh, I think my absolute favorite at the moment would have to be uh, Unwell, which is a kind of uh, Americana Gothic kind of thing. I don't know if I'm really using those terms uh, correctly, um, but it's it's made by um, a group of people that have a long list of credentials that have been in this fiction, uh, audio fiction space for quite a long time. And it really shows the performances and the dialogue are just incredible. The story is, uh, is 
you know, revealing itself in 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 small chunks. Um, but you're having such a great time with developing relationships and so many great moments of humor, uh, and so much stuff about looking at the way uh, things like history are, are whitewashed and so forth as well. That it just is. I think it's one of the shows that I am probably most in awe of because I think it's one of those ones that on every single level, um, it is absolutely 10 out of 10. In fantasy, a couple of favorites, uh, The Once and Future Nerd, which has been around for a really, really long time, but is one of the few shows that, um, I shouldn't say one of the few, is, is one show that really is kind of doing uh, high fantasy style stuff in, you know, in audio fiction uh, with that full kind of cast and that full scope of, of characters and, and settings, you know, epic kind of story. But what's also good, I think, is that they they kind of manage to, to live in that space where you're, they're also interrogating the genre a little bit while they're, while they're playing into some of the more common ways of, uh, you know, fantasy fiction is told and, and, and tropes and things. And also they, they do manage to manage that very nicely, that, that high drama, you know, full-on high-stake stuff with some very funny... Uh, moments and characters and things at different points to really just kind of just, you know, take you on this this fun little ride. Uh, in Between, which I can't recommend enough because it's such a sweet character story. It focuses on um, essentially a party of uh, Dungeons and Dragons style adventurers. But instead of focusing on their quest, it focuses more on the times they spend at the In Between various legs of their journey and it's really therefore it's almost like a post-mortem of, of, of what's just happened and so forth and, and then planning for the future but it really therefore focuses on the characters and the relationships and they are really are such beautiful and lovely characters and it's also a very funny show oh look i could go on i could go on for days um palimpsest has just started a new uh season and already it's fantastic um i'll mention uh just i guess on the on the sort of the maybe less well-known sort of side of things there's one called uh, Under the Electric Stars, which is a bit of a cyberpunk kind of uh, dystopian kind of uh, one that really has, I think, um, a lot going for it. It sort of focuses on, uh, you know, this, the kind of a resistance group to the, you know, the capitalist uh, overlords and so forth. And within that, you've got, you know, a young driver slash tech runner kind of character um, doing all kinds of stuff. But I think it, it's... It's, it's quite a lovely story and there's some really nice, I think, imagery and ideas that it's playing with and there's some pretty good sound design and stuff in there as well. And I think that's one that I do think is, is, is worth investing a bit of time on if, you, if you're looking to kind of give some less well-known ones a shot because a lot of the ones I've mentioned so far are pretty, pretty uh, well-known ones. That might do, but honestly, I could probably go another hour. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, scrolling through my podcatcher right now. Yep, I think I've uh, managed to subscribe to all of them. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, um, you know, uh, you and I, of course, are in a, a couple of uh, spaces where we uh, we kind of run into the same people, and as a result, the the shows we know, there are whole that that is one of the things about the the thing. We we it is a very strong community, but there are definitely pockets within that community. And you're often, I think, less well aware of, of really good work that's going on in some of these other pockets. You know, it's it's often good if you see, I, I, I find it quite useful sometimes when people, uh, you know, when you do have that list of uh, people tweeting out um, um, a whole bunch of shows they're into, sometimes it's really good when you see a couple of ones you recognize or they've tweeted out your own to look at some of the other ones they're into to go, okay, 
I haven't even heard of these ones, but if they're actually throwing them in and they also like these other ones that I know are, you know, uh, pretty solid shows, then that's a that's a way sometimes to to find some in that in that other pockets or those other places that uh, that you're less less aware. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I know I found a lot of good shows from uh, Audio Drama Sunday and Audio Fiction Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, uh, sort of to close things out, what's mm-hmm. one thing you're ridiculously excited about right now? Could be absolutely anything. The thing I am excited about is that in the next couple of months. I will actually have this whole first season out into the world. I started releasing this in April of uh, 2019, and it was really my intent to get it done probably within, you know, about six or so months of that time. But life just got in the way, and I I just really kind of want to have that out there so people can see the whole of, of the story that I've told this far and everything that's in my head to this point. And feel like, you know, that I, I think I think that uh, the the sense of achievement is going to be much much stronger, knowing that that chapter is complete. So that's yeah, that's that's probably the 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 big one at the moment. Uh, I don't really have much in the way of um, you know and highly anticipated uh, books. I am really obviously very keen to see um, Devon's books out in the world. Uh, and to watch how uh, people respond because I think uh, a lot of people are going to really, really love them. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today, Chris. Uh, it's been great. Thank you. It's, uh, it was really fun. Thank you. You can find Chris Magilton on Twitter as at Chris Magilton or at Among Stars Bones. His website is amongthestarsandbones.com. The first season of his story is nearly complete, with the 10th and final episode releasing on April 1st. If immersive soundscapes, compelling characters, and scientists studying dead alien civilizations sounds intriguing, then this is the show for you. And as always, you can find us over at thefantasyn.com or on Twitter and Instagram at thefantasyn. If you enjoyed this interview, consider supporting us on Patreon. You get access to exclusive content like our list of all-time favorite Hugo-winning short stories with reviews and links to read them all online. And we get to improve the podcast. Of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you can catch all of our future episodes. That's all for this week. See you next time.